Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm in a circle in Cuyahoga Falls. Today I'll be reading James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Very good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, really, really glad you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for taking the time. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. All right, we have uh, three big goals here at Christ Community Chapel. You can see them in our hallways out there. Everyone, every community, everywhere. In the next 30 years, we are praying that 10,000 people within a 10-mile radius of this church come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's the everyone goal. Every community, we are wanting to plant 60 churches in Northeast Ohio, two every year for 30 years, so that every neighborhood in Northeast Ohio will have a gospel-preaching church. And then finally, everywhere, we want to give $30 million to global missions so that people everywhere can hear about Jesus. Everyone, every community, everywhere. Uh, we want our lives to count. Here at CCC, we want our church to make an impact. And that's why we're doing it. Uh, this morning, I want to introduce you to one of our church planters for this year, uh, Len Trail Absent. Come on up. Uh, Len Trail is uh, going to be planting within uh, the next year. And I just wanted him to introduce himself, uh, tell us a little bit about his story, and then tell us where he's planting and what he's, why he's excited about that. So this is Len Trail. Yeah, good morning, church. Thank you. So... You got more of an applause than I get up there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. Uh, so I'm married to Ingrid. We've been together six years in December. We have three children, Amir, Amaya, and baby Avi. Yeah. And uh, thankful to the Lord for my family. Uh, my story, unfortunately, um, I grew up in Cleveland, and my story is un it's not uncommon to hear a young man such as myself who grew up without a father. So I didn't have my father in my life. Um, 
made a lot of bad decisions and was on the wrong path. Um, so much so that at 17 years old, I uh, got sent to prison. And it was there in prison that I met Jesus. And he radically changed my life. And uh, I've been living for him since then. And uh, man. But it was, it was there in, in prison that I learned that Jesus works through people. Jesus works through people. I met a man named Bob who was a volunteer and taught a Bible study there, and he watched my transformation. And when I was getting ready to get out of prison, Bob actually invited me to come and live with him. And Bob became like the father I never had. He, he loved me. He discipled me. He taught me how to drive. Again, his impact on my life has me still talking about him today. And I know that it was Jesus working through him. And when I think about Euclid, the community of Euclid, it has over 48,000 people, and many of them know about Jesus, but it's a very superficial knowledge. And so when I wake up in the morning to go and do ministry in the neighborhood of Euclid, I wake up with the, just the motivation of helping people know who Jesus truly is. We want to present Jesus clearly to the people there in Euclid. And also, as I begin to engage the, the young people in the community, I realize that there's a lot of young people with brokenness and pain. And so another motivation I have getting up in the morning to go out and do ministry is I want the young people in Euclid to know that Jesus is the safest place for them to bring their brokenness. And so you may be wondering, how can we continue to get involved with what the Lord is doing there in Euclid? Well, I'll give you three points. <laughs> of how you can continue to be involved with what the Lord is you're, doing. You're killing it. <laughs> I know that you all are giving. And as you give, you are enabling not only myself, but church planners to go and do the ministry. So please continue to give. Please continue to pray. Secondly, we need your prayers. We are on the front lines and we need your prayers as we do ministry and church planning. And then lastly, some of you will come and join us. Would you, it's hard to think about it, uproot your family and maybe move to Euclid to be a part of what the Lord is doing there. Would you come? And so that's the third uh, point. I want you to tell them, too, about how God has gone before you mm. and what he's just what we talked about just this last week. Yeah, I had a very unique opportunity to actually go to the public high school and share my testimony, which, you know, is really. Yeah, it's a it's a unique thing. The Lord opened that door. Some of uh, the men of this church donated bikes to Euclid and those bikes led to me meeting a social worker at the high school. And through that, I was invited in to, to share my testimony with the young people. And I'm now doing a follow-up study at the library where I can speak about Jesus explicitly. So uh, that's what the Lord is doing. Yeah. Thanks. I love that God has gone before you. I love your passion. Mm -hmm. We're so excited for you. So uh, welcome, Lynn Trail. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lentrail will be out in the atrium after the service. The whole Orchard staff is out there. Please stop by. If it's only to just tell him that you're praying for him. Uh, we are so excited about Lentrail and then our other church planner, John Twyman, who you'll meet 
in a couple of weeks. But thanks, thanks for the way that you have supported our church planting effort. All right. Uh, we are uh, on our third week of our 10-week series in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. If you're going to use one of our pew Bibles here in the sanctuary or one of our Bibles over in East Hall, it's on page 950. You know, I'm always uh, a little surprised when somebody comes up to me and they say, I love the book of James, uh, because I don't. <laughs> that sounds bad, but I feel like James uh, beats me up and he doesn't even feel bad about it. He's like a, a personal trainer that you go to, that you dread going to. You're thankful for if you survive that particular workout, but you dread going to the next one. That's the way I feel about James. So this is our, our third workout out of 10. So let's do this. I told you a couple of weeks ago that James is very practical, and he is. Paul the Apostle is also practical, but he, he approaches the gospel a different way. Paul the Apostle says, if you're, if you're going to understand the gospel, this is what you have to know. And then Paul will say, the first thing you have to know if you're going to understand the gospel is that if you want to get to God, you have to admit you cannot get there on your own. But the whole idea that you can be a good enough person to earn God's favor and get to heaven is like uh, thinking that you can uh, buy your way into heaven using monopoly money. It's just silly. And then the second thing you need to know is that Jesus came for you, which is absolutely breathtakingly wonderful. And that's why it's called good news. The gospel that Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on a cross and resurrected so that you could be reconciled to God and forgiven. Because forgiveness is not free, even for God. Someone pays, and Jesus paid for you. And believing that is the one and only way you can be reconciled to God and forgiven. That's the gospel. That's what Paul says over and over and over again. James approaches it a little bit different. James assumes that you understand all that I've said about the gospel. But James says if you really understand the gospel and you believe the gospel, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move through you. James says this is what the gospel looks like when it goes from your head to your heart to your hands, and you become a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. And in James chapter 2, he starts to kind of describe what a group of people who believe the gospel, what they will be like. And of course, a group of people who believe the gospel is called a church. And so he's really talking about what our church should look like. So here are my, my three points that I want to pull out of these 13 verses that we had read to us. I want to talk about what we see and why we see it what we don't do and why we don't do it, and what we do and why we do it. What? what we see and why we see it, what we don't do, why we don't do it, and what we do and why we do it. All right, first, what we see and why we see it. James starts out by saying, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, 
If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. James begins this section by saying, when you look at someone, what do you see? What do you see? And he uses money as the, as the spectrum, right? Somebody who has money, somebody, you know, this is another reason why I'm always surprised when somebody says they love the book of James, because James talks a lot about money, and most of the time people don't want to talk about money, especially the way James does, but we'll get there, right? But he uses this spectrum of money. He says, if somebody comes into your church and they're dressed in shabby clothes and somebody else comes in in designer clothes, what do you see? One of the things I love about Len Trail's story is that this guy, Bob, goes into the prison to do a Bible study. And when he looks at Len Trail, he doesn't just see uh, a young black, another young black man in prison What he sees is something else. What James says we should see is glory. Look at the first verse. Well, before you do it, let me me tell you this. What what James does is he, he is saying, what do you see when you see people at opposite ends of a spectrum? And he starts with money. What do you see when you see a rich, successful person or a poor person? Because we tend to have these spectrums where we value people on one side and not value people on the other side. But there are a lot of different spectrums that we use. Educated and uneducated, in shape, out of shape, right? Black, white, liberal, conservative, legal, illegal, good driver, bad driver. I use that one because uh, I still remember when my oldest daughter... Rachel was like five years old. And we were driving someplace, just the two of us, and somebody cut me off. And I said, what an idiot, right? Just like that. And my five-year-old daughter turned to me and she said, let's kill him, daddy. (laughs) It's pretty convicting, right? She understood better than I did what I had done to that person. Right? That I had put them at the opposite end of a spectrum where I said, you know, I have no use for you. James says we never do that because we see something different. And when I say glory, this is what he's about to start this whole section on what you see when you look at different people at different ends of a spectrum. And he starts out by saying, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, I told you a couple weeks ago, whenever you see the word glory in the Bible, you should think beautiful and important. And James is saying that Jesus should be the most important relationship you have, but he's saying something more than that. In chapter 3, which we'll get to in two weeks, James is talking about how we even talk about other people. And in verse 9, this is what he says. He says, "...with our mouths we bless our Lord and Father." And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. When James says that, he is kind of hearkening back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where it says that God made human beings in his own image. That every human being you look at is imprinted with the very image of God, the glory, 
the beauty of God himself. It's like the moon has no light in itself. It shines because it catches the light from the sun. That's every human being reflects something of the glory of God himself. But this, the whole idea that human beings are created equal, that there are human rights for human beings. You know, we are so accustomed to that here in the West. I mean, the United Nations keeps track of human rights violations. That has not always been the case. Right? I, I read this book a little bit ago. It's by a guy named Tom Holland, who is a historian. He is not a Christian, but he's a really fine historian. He wrote this book called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And what he says is the reason that there are human rights at all is because of Christianity. Before Christianity, no one had ever believed that human beings were equal. Aristotle, who you probably recognize, pretty bright guy, right? He said you, could t- you can tell by looking at someone whether they should be a slave. No one believed in human rights or the equality of human beings until Christianity. And James says it starts here with us. That when we look at somebody, if you look at somebody and, and you see somebody successful and uh, who's uh, is wealthy and accomplished, and you look at somebody who's not, and you value one over the other, what James says, you're missing the glory of Jesus. That when we look at people, we see them differently, which is why that's one of the reasons why our uh, ability inclusion ministry is so important here at CCC. Because when we see people, we see them as being absolutely invaluable because they're made in the image of God. Okay, so that's my first point. And because we see them a certain way, this is what we don't do and why we don't do it. Verse 4 and 5. He says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, become judges with evil thoughts, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? James says, when you make a distinction, when you take a group of people, any group of people, he's using rich and poor, but any group of people, and you show them favor or disfavor, you're doing an injustice. He says, judges with evil thoughts. That's a judge who, that's the same kind of phrase that you use for a judge who takes a bribe and perverts justice. It's a fascinating story in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, it's, uh, the church has, has just begun, and it's, it's spread out from Jewish people to Gentile people, particularly Greek people. And there, so these two groups, Greek and Jews, who have become Christians, become followers of Jesus, start to come together to worship together. First time ever. It's crazy because those two groups hated each other. They were both extremely racist toward the other, right? Greeks were racist towards Jews. Jews were racist toward Greeks. But God brought them together, right, because of Jesus. They became where there were no walls between them, right? So they're worshiping together. But Acts chapter 6 begins with their 
was an argument that arose where the Greeks came to the apostles and said, listen, the Greek widows are being treated differently than the Jewish widows. Now, by the way, the church was a great place for widows because widows were throwaway people in the first century. They were unequal. They were, they were cast away, but they found a place in the church because the church sees people differently. But the Greeks came and they said, listen, we got a problem, right? The Greek widows are being treated poorly and they're not being treated equally with the Jewish widows. And it's fascinating, right? Because uh, what had happened was that, was that they were treating them in an unjust way, but it wasn't intentional. If it had been intentional, it would have been called out right there by the apostles. But racism had been so embedded in the culture that they didn't even realize that they were doing it. Okay, now I want you to hear me here. What they did was they set up a system that was unintentionally unjust to a group of people based on race. What we call that today is systemic racism. I told you James was hard. I warned you, right? But that's what James says. And James says, this cannot be, right? And, and so what the apostles did, they took radical action. They said, you know what? We're going to put men in charge of this. This is where deacons come from, by the way. Our deacons had a meeting. They have a meeting every first Sunday of the month. They met this morning. This is where deacons come from. They appointed deacons. But if you read it, read that passage in the Greek, all the deacons had Greek names. So what the apostles did was, okay, yeah, they didn't say this doesn't exist. They said, okay, we, can, we understand. It wasn't intentional. Tell you what, we will put men in charge and we will trust Greek men to treat our Jewish widows the way they would treat Greek widows. Why does he take it so seriously? Because racism was such a part of the first century, much more so than it is right now. I mean, Samaritans hated Jews, Jews hated Samaritans, Gentiles hated Jews, Jews hated Gentiles, uh, Scythians hated barbarians, barbarians hated Scythians. You know, you go into a city now and you have like uh, Little Italy and you have uh, Germantown and you have Chinatown, these little enclaves. Uh, we didn't invent that. Right? That's not a modern invention. You go into a Roman city in the first century, you would have these enclaves that would never go into the other part of town. Never, because they hated them. So what the apostles said was, listen, racism is so embedded in culture. When we see it, we're going to root it out. We're going to stop it because that's not the way we do things. We will never show injustice to a group of people for any reason. Right? It's something we just don't do. And if you notice, James does something really interesting. Uh, and I didn't notice this until I studied this this week. Uh, but James, in verses 9 through 11, he, he makes this weird switch. He says this, but if you show partiality, so he's saying if, if, if you do this intentionally or unintentionally, if you show partiality to people, if you're unjust, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, has said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. <laughs> you know, he, all of a sudden he jumps to adultery and murder. And you're going, whoa, that, that jumped up a bunch. Right? Uh, it's like an old joke. This is a preacher's joke. 
Not sure if you're going to get it. All right, hope you do. All right. But preachers, we love this joke. Um, two preachers, two people, two clergy members are at this uh, social gathering in their town. One's an Episcopal priest, one's a Baptist preacher. And a server comes by with cocktails, and she says to the Episcopal priest, would you like a cocktail? And he says, ooh, don't mind if I do. Takes one out. And then the Baptist preacher's sitting right next to him, and she says, sir, would you like a cocktail? And the Baptist preacher looks at the Episcopal priest, looks back at the server, and says, I would just soon commit adultery as have a drink of that alcohol. And the Episcopal priest goes, ooh, I didn't know I had a choice. (laughs) Glad you got it, right? The reason that's funny is because we know We know adultery is much more serious. That's what James does. Do you see that? He says, listen, we have to take this so seriously. And we know that there's different things that we grew up with that are just embedded that we may not know. Listen, I I read this book this past week. It's called uh, How to Heal Our Racial Divide by Derwin Gray. A very good book. I didn't read this because I think I'm a racist. I read this because I don't know what I don't know. I read this because the apostles took it seriously. And there were unintentional things that can happen that I don't mean to do. I just want to know because James says this. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is how you see people. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you never, ever So we recommend a book each month, and in 2023, that's going to be one of the books that we recommend. Derwin Gray just does a great job, right? So that's the first thing is uh, what we see, why we see it. Second thing, what we don't do, why we don't do it. And finally, the third thing, what we do and why we do it. This is verse 13. He says, uh, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James says something. He, he will do this all the way through his letter. There'll be different things where you have to read it twice and you just go, whoa. He just said, if you don't give mercy, you won't get mercy. And mercy seems like it's pretty important. So the question is, what is it? What is he saying? What is mercy? In Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus is walking uh, through like a village. And there are two men uh, who are blind. And they begin yelling out. And they yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They're not crying out to be forgiven. What they're saying is this, Jesus, we have a physical need we want you to address. And Jesus stopped and cared for their physical need. He healed them so they could see. Right? That was mercy. In a couple of verses, uh, we'll cover this next week, James says, listen, if somebody comes to you with a physical need and you have the ability to meet that physical need, but instead you say to them, I'll pray for you, James says, that's not mercy, right? And again, listen, you should know that mercy, this kind of mercy of meeting people's physical, emotional, 
spiritual needs has not always been around. Once again, in this book, Tom Holland, not a Christian, talking about what happened because of Christianity. You know what he would say? Hospitals. Right? No hospitals before Christianity. No orphanages before Christianity. No haven of rest. No ministry to homeless people. No feeding stations. No soup kitchens. None of that. No schools for poor children. All of that happened because of Christianity. Because somebody like James would say, if you're going to become a doer of the word, if the gospel is going to go from your head to your heart to your hands, you will be a person of mercy. And a group of people who are followers of Jesus will be known for their mercy. So we follow a rich tradition here at CCC when we give Thanksgiving baskets at Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're a new to our church, one of the things we do uh, the week of Thanksgiving is that, or the, the week before, everybody gets one of these big kind of Tupperware buckets, and we fill it with a Thanksgiving feast that'll, that will feed at least 10 people. And every Thanksgiving, there are 15,000 people in this area who have a Thanksgiving feast they would not have had had it not been for the mercy of our church. It's a great thing. We follow a rich tradition when we support Restore Addiction Recovery for people, for men who are struggling with addiction and want to get clean and healthy. We follow a rich tradition when we have a Micah 6-8 weekend where all the money goes to relieve suffering somewhere. We follow a rich tradition we have Adoption and Foster Care Weekend, which is coming up, we want to say this is what we do because we are followers of Jesus. Listen, James says, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, what that means is that the gospel has gone from your head to your heart to your hands. If you're going to be a doer of the word, then you get together with other people who are followers of Jesus and this is how you'll know that the gospel is going deep, right? What you see and why you see it. When anybody walks into this church and you look in their face, glory. You're looking at somebody made in the image of God with incalculable worth, right? What we don't do and why we don't do it we don't show favor. We root out anything inside of us that, are, that we may have not known, may be unintentional, but where we favor one group over another group, where we are unintentionally unjust in the way we see things. And then finally, what we do, we show mercy. Because when we were wretched and we cried out for Jesus, he answered us. It is the very nature of God to be merciful. So here at CCC, we do everything we can to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the people around us because that's what it means to love your neighbor. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you, and uh, James always uh, convicts me. I want to be a person where uh, the gospel continues to go deep, goes from my head to my heart to my hands, and uh, to do that, 
uh, we all need your help. And so I pray that you would do that for us. I pray that you would make us uh, people who when we look at another human being, wherever they are, whatever spectrum that we value, we will see that your glory in them, a person of equal value. I pray that you would keep us from uh, any sin of injustice, intentional or unintentional. And I pray that you'd make us people of mercy, uh, where we meet the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of the people around us, and we are good lovers of people as you have been for us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.